Hey everybody and welcome to podcast 44, Leet Day. Before you get too excited about the title, it actually has nothing to do at all with the content. As you may or may not know, I am homeless and I do a daily writing about it. I put that up on the internets for everybody to read if they want and I call that uh, epic fail. And I was noticing the other day that I am a few days within day 1337 which the Hacksaws and uh, some gamers call Leet. So I thought, uh, you know, may as well just call the podcast that. But there you go. Uh, couldn't think of a better title. So um, the title will stick. Enjoy the show! Single white human, looking for group, my stats so high, don't be out of the loop. Got a new elite staff that you can equip, close your mouth up, ladies, this is pure nerd nick. I'm a pixel-based fantasy, I'm Anslow Stoic, I hack and slash, who the heck's more heroic? Check me out, cloth I'm a fits me like a glove, just Twitter a time, I'm ready for love. Hang with me in my MMO, so many places we can go. I'm better than a real world quest, you'll touch my plus five to dexterity vest. So there's a lot of gaming news and hubbub, I guess, about the PlayStation Vita. It is the new PlayStation handheld. They actually had an old one called the PlayStation Portable, and the Vita is sort of a, a generational step up, but I don't know if I would say it's a full generation. I believe its screen is a lot better. I haven't looked at the exact specs in terms of, you know, which generation of screen type they had on the old one. The new one has an OLED type. And it's, you know, touch sensitive, just like the phones. And it's, you know, generationally a little bit more powerful. The Vita has no optical drive. The old one did. And I think that was one of the main things that held up the PlayStation Portable originally was that physical media. The Vita does still have physical media. It's little teeny tiny cartridges. Um, Well, you know, I call them cartridges because of the old days. But I guess now their memory stick would be more accurate. It also has, you know, wireless, and I think there's a cable to connect to the PC, so I would assume that there is some kind of, you know, website that you could go to and access, you know, just the same as you could from the system itself wirelessly. So there's the physical games, and then there's the downloadable games. Well, really cool looking. I don't know if it's something I would be seriously interested in. It is on my wish list in case, you know, somebody decides to get me something huge in terms of money. But I don't know if it's something I would get for myself. I did get the PlayStation Portable, and I never really played it a whole lot. I think in the, like, year and a half I had it, I only played maybe three games. One of the big stumbling blocks for me back then, and with the current stuff, is that the prices for most of these games just seems insane compared to, you know, full console or PC gaming. Pretty much all of the games I'm interested in, and if I classify everything I would, you know, consider getting as a gift or buying as interested in, there's maybe half a dozen titles. All of those titles except one are like 40 bucks. And that just seems really, really pricey to me compared to, you know, a full, you know, PC game that I can play on my laptop is between 50 and 60 bucks at launch. You know, I'm paying, you know, 75% or more of that same price for something that's, you know, small and portable and probably not nearly as much in terms of content. And I'm kind of curious how it will work out for them because pretty much the, the launch lineup is the exact same, 
titles that they use for all of the PlayStation launches. You know, they've got the very popular games now, but, you know, there's three or four titles in there that's like, yeah, you guys launch that every single time you launch a console. This is just the newest version of it. So it's like, you know, if I were to get it as a gift or, you know, somehow miraculously get a ton of money and then just decide why not, you know, there's that half dozen games that I would get that I'm interested in, and then what? The other thing is that most of these games are not really using the the power and features of the Vita. Like I said, it's got a phone-type screen, so it's touch-sensitive on the front. They've also done something kind of interesting where it is touch-sensitive in the back, which I could see sort of being problematic because if you held it wrong, you might accidentally trigger stuff in the back, you know, just by putting your fingers in the wrong place. But of all of the games I've looked at, only one actually uses all of the features in terms of, you know, you can tap it in the front, you can tap it in the back, and you move the controls to move the guys around. There's a couple of shooter games that I, you know, glanced at that do use the touch feature on the front for throwing grenades, which seems, you know, like a pretty good idea considering that with FPS games on sticks, it's, um, you know, not quite ideal in my opinion. I much, much, much prefer shooting games with a mouse and keyboard because, you know, that that movement style is much, much tighter controls with the mouse. Another issue I have with the pricing is that once you add in the memory card and you should get a case and you probably need, you know, a protective screen layer thingy for it, you add all that stuff on there to even the base model and the price is almost as high as a regular console. The cheapest Vita is 250 bucks. And like I said, you add on 15 to 30 bucks for a case, 30 bucks for an 8 gig memory card. You know, you're easily at 300 bucks, not counting tax and all that. We won't count tax and stuff for the purposes of this argument. But that's comparable in price to a 360 system with Kinect or a PlayStation 3 160 gig system and a game. So in terms of price, it seems like a really, really steep price to get into it. Also, although it is backwards compatible with the PlayStation Portable games, since it has no physical media, the only way I could see you getting those games on there would be through the download system, which I assume they would charge you, you know, to re-download the game, basically. I suppose it could be that there is some software that would transfer it from, you know, the old one onto your hard drive and then over a you know, USB connected cable, because I did see that there was a cable and I was wondering, you know, what's the cable for? So that is a possibility, but then you'd also have to have, you know, the old school portable still around. So I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm always on the fence about handheld systems, you know, they cost just as much as a regular console, you know, why would you do that? You get, you know, this one thing that you can play by yourself versus, you know, something you can play on the couch with, you know, typically three other friends. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then they're kind of fighting an uphill battle because Nintendo has this huge library that the Nintendo 3DS can play from, you know, previous console versions of the DS and the DSi. They've got, you know, full backwards compatibility. Not to mention now the iPhone and other iDevices is a, you know, huge giant force in mobile gaming. I don't know. I see PlayStation as having a really, really hard battle. And I don't know, you know, as interesting as it looks, uh, I saw somebody playing a game in class. It looked, you know, really, really nice in terms of how it moved and such. You know, I think they're going to have a very hard battle. I know that probably doesn't interest a whole lot of you out there. Most of you are probably PC and console gamers, probably not a lot of handheld gamers. But that's just my rambly opinion thoughts about the PlayStation Vita.
So Genesee of the Grey Area posed this question that I guess she has an interview with some people for. And the question was, what do you think makes a good game? And I thought and thought and thought and thought. And I don't know if I really have a solid answer for that because part of the point of my doing these podcasts is so that you can figure out, you know, what you agree with, what you like, what you don't like, so that you can figure out what you like in a game. So if you ask me that question, what makes a good game is going to be different for everybody who you ask the question to. It's kind of like talking about, you know, baking cookies. You can talk about ingredients, you can talk about the kind of cookie, you can talk about, you know, baking temperature and times. But if you're talking about, say, a chocolate chip cookie with milk chocolate chips, and then, you know, you happen to be talking to somebody who likes oatmeal cookies, every last thing you say about it, they're going to disagree with. Even talking to somebody else who likes chocolate chip cookies, you know, maybe they like dark chocolate chip cookies. And then again, you know, you're going to have points that you disagree with, even though it's the same kind of cookies. So I don't know, you know, I I couldn't think up any examples in my own life. You know, there's certainly games of the same genre that I like, but I like them for different reasons. Like, as example, Mass Effect, the series, has a lot of story filtered throughout the entire game. And there's a lot of interaction with your companions, and you're, you're finding out their story alongside of your own story. And there is story all over the place, even though it's a shooter. I also like the Bioshock games a lot, which is kind of the opposite. There's tons and tons and tons of shooting, but the story is kind of condensed into these little, I guess sort of scene-changing times. It's like, you know, like at the end of a level, quote-unquote, you'll get, you know, some story. Or at the end of a chapter, you'll get maybe a bigger chunk of story. But it's not quite interspersed all the time like it is with the Mass Effect games. Sure, it's there. It's, you know, all around you. But it's being told in a very, very different way. And you interact with it in a very different way. So, you know, even if I said I like shooters with story, there's two very different examples. Also, being an old-school player, I like arcade games. Gauntlet will be the first game that I ever remember playing, multiplayer, as it were. You know, you could play you and three of your friends. And there was pretty much no story at all in Gauntlet. You just run around and, and you beat up the monsters, and you try and survive the level and get to the next level. In a more recent example, and something that is available for the PlayStation Vita that I just rambled about, there's this game called Stardust which is basically a new school version of Asteroids times 11 billion. And again, there's really no story at all, except you're trying to survive the levels. You know, at least I assume so. I had it on the the PlayStation 3, and there was no story. It was just pretty much Asteroids. I don't know about the Vita. Could be the same. Could have story. I don't know. But, you know, it's an arcade game that really is very, very different than, you know, a first-person or third-person shooter-type game. And then there's other games that I like too that are, you know, maybe something like Dragon Age where it's role-playing and, you know, sort of like Diablo put together. And then again, you know, there's Diablo and it's, it's again got some story, but you know, it's like Bioshock in that the story is condensed and, you know, most of the time you're just out smashing monsters in the face. So I don't know, what makes a game good will be different for different people and um. You know, hopefully listening to my ramblings, you will figure out what you like and what you have experienced in your own life. And, um, you know, maybe you can find the answer for yourself. 
And as always, that answer will change as time goes on. You know, new games come out, new concepts get put in games, new experiences happen because of, you know, different inputs or, you know, different stories they're telling or, you know, different genres. And so what you like may change. You never know. I know something ain't right. Sweetie, we're crooks. If everything were right, we'd be in jail. So I've rambled about downloadable content before, and I'm going to ramble a little bit more because some new stuff has come up with Mass Effect 3 that is kind of like, hmm. Reckoning had some downloadable content within a week. I don't remember exactly when it came out, but it was like it gives you a set of armor and some weapons for each of the talent trees. And each set was three bucks, I think. Or you could buy the whole bundle for all three for five bucks, I think it was. But it made me sort of wince. It's like, really? You guys just launched this game, and now you've already got downloadable content. And this is in addition to a code you get that you input, and that gives you access to something like, it's like seven extra quests and some other stuff. So already the people who are in the secondary market won't have that code, they'll be cut off of that content. And now you're adding in extra content that anybody who buys the game can get. That seems that seems like pure money-grubbing to me. That There isn't really any reason to do that. Everybody should have all of that content that was ready to go when the game launched. Now, you know, a month down the line, two months down the line, six months down the line, adding some more content to go, Hey guys, you loved our game. Here's some more content. Hey everybody who hasn't bought the game yet, buy the game now and you can have this new content as well as, you know, all the content that was there before. You know, sort of incentive to entice newer players to the game who haven't been playing and to give something back to the players who have enjoyed the game and, you know, finished it a couple of times or whatever. That is perfectly okay to do. But part of the the thing that made me want to talk about it again today is, you know, like I said, the Reckoning stuff that just happened. And there was a recent slip on Mass Effect 3 that it is also going to have what they're calling day one downloadable content. They're going to have this character who is of a race that they've been talking about for the previous two games. But, you know, that race hasn't previously been available as a companion, as well as him having a bunch of missions to come with him. It's like, really? You guys have this content ready to go at launch, but you're not giving it to people. I could see them sort of doing something like, you know, that one-use code where people who buy the game right away get it free, but then people who rent the game or get it, you know, in the secondary market don't have access without paying for it. I could sort of understand that. But making everybody who buys the game pay 10 bucks extra for this character and the content right on launch day, that's... That's a little fishy, a little off to me. You know, again, if it happened a few weeks even after launch, definitely a month or two after launch, I can see them doing that. You know, it's like they finish the game, the game is out. You know, they're they're doing something to help entice the players to keep playing. You know, give them something more after they've finished. I could see that, you know, being okay. But this is like, you know, weird because it means that they've pretty much been working on the main content And then they've worked on this content, but then cut it off. 
It's kind of like if you made a t-shirt and then cut one of the sleeves off before you sold it to somebody and said, hey, for extra money, we'll put that sleeve back on there for you. And you're like, wait a minute, isn't the shirt supposed to come with two sleeves? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. I suppose you could say this is partly the gamer's fault because current day gamers expect a lot more from games than they did, you know, 10, 15, 20 plus years ago. Because back in the day, you would get a game and you wouldn't really expect any content to come out for the game unless it was a full-on expansion or, you know, maybe free patch that fixes some bugs. That was pretty much the only content you expected. Nowadays, it seems kind of like gamers are expecting downloadable content. It's like they demand it. It's like it's like if there isn't going to be downloadable content, they'll refuse to buy it. So it's a very different market now, I think, than it used to be. So, you know, in a way that is kind of our fault. Another big issue that's come up and why some of the developers are saying that they're doing this is that there's this whole hubbub about the secondary market and, you know, when you buy a used game at the store, the developers don't see any money at all from that sale. Just the retail outlet that is selling it gets the money, or, you know, e-tailer if it's online. They get all of the money and the profit from that. So on the one hand, you know, I can agree with them. That's not okay. You know, the, the retail outlet should be giving the developers something for selling their game again. Especially since a lot of these physical locations see you come up to the table, they're like, hey, don't buy the new version, buy the used version for five or ten bucks less. You know, that's like the consumer goes, you know, okay, for the most part, you know, because they get to save money. What I didn't know until recently is that, you know, the developers get zero money from that sale compared to, you know, when a, a person buys the new game, the developer will get, you know, whatever 50 or 60 percent that they normally get. So on the one hand, I absolutely agree with the developers on that point, but I don't think they should be attacking the gamers, which is basically what they're doing by locking out content. I think what they should be doing is maybe pushing towards some kind of, you know, legislation or whatever to make it so, you know, that the retailer does have to give them a cut of that money. I don't think locking out content and making gamers pay extra for stuff that they should be getting is the right way to go. I don't think that's the way to go about it, and I don't think that's proper. Secret song. I love you all night long. I can't stand to see you go. Secret song. I love you so. Wait. Good enough. So that's it for Podcast 44. And since I got it out uh, within a week, I will go ahead and launch it early, like last time. But, uh, you know, don't get used to seeing one every week because I won't have, you know, enough content to talk about every week. That's why it originally, you know, settled into the week and a half schedule. If I were living a happy rabbit life, I would have tons of stuff going on. Or, you know, at the very least, if I weren't homeless, there would probably be more going on. And I would have a lot more to talk about, and, you know, maybe it could be a regular weekly thing. Who knows? Uh, maybe I will try more often for a weekly thing. Because it's certainly a lot easier for people to remember, you know, once a week on Saturday to check for it. As opposed to sometimes Saturday, sometimes Wednesday, you know, 
three weeks out of a time period, they'll see two of them. You know, it's kind of confusing maybe to people. So some closing newsy things. I was not at all shocked to see that the news about the Secret World is that they have changed the date to June 19th. They had a a big event and showed it off to a lot of news people. And today, Friday the 24th, there are, you know, half a dozen reviews that basically all say the same thing. I think they've still got a pretty hard lockdown on what news people can say about the game. So, you know, if you want uh, updated news, uh, just do a search and uh, there's quite a bit out there. But like I said, you know, it all says pretty much the same thing. At the opposite end of the spectrum... Guild Wars 2 had a sort of press weekend beta, and there is tons and tons and tons and tons of footage out there on YouTube, as well as, you know, electronic printed reviews, and they do not say the same thing. They all say, you know, slightly different things depending on what they did, lots of different videos, tons of different opinions. They do all agree, though, that the game is pretty awesome and it changes things up in new and interesting ways which I'm very happy to hear, but, you know, that's pretty much old news. We knew that was going to happen. And we have to say grats to them because they opened up the beta application for, you know, future weekends. It's kind of implied that way in their FAQ. But they opened up applications for 48 hours, and, um, you know, over a million people signed up for it. So, woot, that's like a crazy number of people. That's got to be some kind of record. So, grats to them, and uh, they were super happy about that. And I'm sure lots and lots of gamers are happy to hear about it. Even though, you know, on the one hand, we're sad about it, because the more people that applied, you know, those of us that did apply, you know, that lowers our chances. But it also means they're going to get plenty of people for beta, plenty of opinions, and, you know, lots of good feedback, hopefully. An update on the cookie post incident. My online friend that, uh, you know, I was worried was not my friend anymore because of the craziness of the cookie post incident is still my friend. Yay! And I was, you know, very super happy to hear from her that she was worried and, um, you know, sad to hear that I got sad and it all was just, you know, a big, huge misunderstanding. My initial thoughts that she was doing a joking post was correct. Although, you know, because I am in this sad, homeless state, I... I have a natural reaction to sort of run and hide whenever there could be trouble. So it just kind of became this weird downward spiral for me about the more I thought about it, the more I looked at her post, the more it seemed like it was an attack. I just got, you know, sadder and sadder and crazier and crazier. And so, um, you know, it just got bad and sad. Basically for no reason. But everything's okay. Uh, we're cool. We're happy. And she says, you know, if I ever have any questions in the future to just ask. So, um, you know, I'll try not to be so sad and uh, just ask. But I am kind of worried that it might happen in the future, not with her, but with uh, other people in general. Because like I said, you know, I am in a, a very extremely fragile state right now because of my general sadness about everything in my life. And so, you know, a lot of stuff comes out as it could be an attack or it could be something that, you know, is overly sad when it it normally could be something I shrug off. So I just have to be, you know, super guarded about my feelings and and super careful about everything. So I worry, uh, you know, about me. I also have had a little bit, you know, worse health lately than I have in the past. 
And so I worry about me physically. I don't I don't remember if this was going on when I talked about it in podcast 42, but I have sort of a, a weird feeling around my heart. It's kind of hard to describe. Um, when we did a blood test, right when I was starting on the blood pressure medication, it turned out that my kidneys weren't quite functioning correctly anymore with that much medication. So we tuned the medication back down. And early on, you know, before I had that result, I would just, you know, stop taking the pill and I would feel better. And so, you know, I explained it to the doctor. And she's like, you know, you know, we can't prove or disprove that, but I'm not going to discount it. But yeah, you know, that could have been what it was that you were feeling. So I don't know. Uh, maybe that's what's going on now. Maybe it is just extra weight I'm carrying around from all the stress of, you know, not having a car. Plus all the stress of everything else. I am a, a bit heavier than usual. I don't know how much. I don't have a, a scale or access to a scale. So, you know, it is a bit heavier. So that could be uh, just worse blood pressure in general, worse weight in general. I am trying to have healthier choices in what I eat. But, you know, being homeless and having to buy ready-to-eat stuff all the time, there's really not a lot of control I can have about that. So uh, it is what it is. I'm trying as best I can to make it better. And hopefully once I get back in a car, you know, I'll be able to sleep a little more and, you know, relax a little bit more. And, and hopefully we'll go back to my balanced homeless state, as it were. So that's all of the ramblings I could think up for this podcast. Uh, no point holding it because I couldn't think of anything else to say. Actually, it took me almost a full week to come up with this. So it is what it is. As always, hopefully uh, you found something interesting and uh, maybe helps you analyze your own life and what you like or don't like in gaming or in general. And at the very least, hopefully you had a good time with it. And hopefully I'll see everybody next time. Okay, thanks, bye. But the new one has the new, you know, all the, oh, yeah. So there is, a, you know, this huge, you know, library with the, the, you know, through thinking about what I say and what you have experienced. Thundercats! Ho! Thundercats! You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbitsramblings.html. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you friend me, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at rabbitdotcom. It's rabbit.com, but with not a period. When you type rabbit's ramblings, don't use the space. And be sure to put the number one in place of I whenever you type rabbit. Rabbit's ramblings is copyright 2012 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.